You are now about to witness the strength of street knowledge. Welcome to Voice Junkie. in peace to the late great Nipsey Hussle. Exactly a week from today, I'm recording this on Sunday. Last Sunday, the uh, rapper was tragically gunned down in his own strip mall in front of his in front of his clothing store. And it was by some clown dude that he knew from the neighborhood that didn't have a really good relationship, didn't have a really good relationship with other people in the neighborhood. His reputation was kind of stained because, you know, he was pretty much known as a snitch and for any one of y'all out there who know anything about the streets people in the streets who really handle their business and do what they need to do do not act kindly to those who we deem as a threat to us and that dude was deemed as a threat because he didn't really have that type of respect in the neighborhood because uh, you know like i said he was perceived as a snitch and an informant and um there is some validity to that that I've heard through stories about that but the point is you know it was a guy that just gunned down Nipsey in broad daylight in a Sunday afternoon which is just nuts and it was just a a whirlwind that took over the entire internet all week people have been mourning the loss of Nipsey Hussle all week and there's still we still as a collective hasn't haven't gotten over the events of last week we're a weekend and people are still kind of going through it. People are still bummed over it. Um, more details came out. The guy, I don't even want to say his name because he's a clown and he doesn't deserve to have that type of attention. So I, I'm just going to keep his name on the hush. But, you know, this guy, he proceeded to kill Nipsey in the most disgusting and gruesome way that you can kill anybody. I mean, people at war don't even do what he did. And, um, you know, he killed Nipsey and then he proceeded to check himself into a you know mental institution like you know come on dude come on don't make a mockery of mental health by checking yourself into the a mental health facility you know because they put out a a a, you know a a manhunt on his ass and he you know he was found in a mental facility so now you know i go into like what what's next for us as a collective as a society as a culture i mean nipsey meant so much to our community the black community because he was more than just music the dude made dope music i mean there's no doubt about that anybody that know about hip-hop knows that nipsey hustle was one hell of an artist but for nipsey's sake it was deeper than the music because nipsey meant so much to the black community because of what he was trying to do for the black community as far as empowering it he was he was buying back his block he was doing it a little at a time, empowering his people in his neighborhood. He was an activist. I mean, that Sunday, the next day on that Monday, he was going to meet up with police chiefs to talk about how to better curve gang violence. So this was what this was what Nipsey Hussle was all about. He was about empowering his community and, and, and bringing some type of awareness to his own people and making, you know, Giving them the knowledge that, you know, maybe helped them grow into the next Nipsey Hustle. So this is why this one hurts so much for everybody, including myself, because 
of what the guy stood for. And that clown that took his life hurt millions of people. And it's unfortunate that our community, the black community, continue to bring down powerful leaders that can empower us and make us better. It's a really, really sick mental deficiency that we have, that some of us have in our community that that does despicable things like this. And hopefully we can just grow as a people from this and just follow in the path that Nipsey was trying to set forth for all of us. And there's a lot of other leaders out there that's taking charge and doing the right things like, you know, Nipsey was trying to do. You know, of course, Hove and um, even Diddy and, and T.I., those types of guys are doing the work, you know, and Killer Mike, I got to shout him out. You know, there's a lot of people out there that are that have been doing the work. And in this situation, it just hurts to have a guy that's really trying to do something positive be slain um, at such a young age at 33. So, you know, it, the deepest condolences obviously goes out to his family, but it just it's just another black mark on our culture on you know the music business the hip-hop music business because of course this is going to be a black stain for that as well like hey this is what this music produces and it's not even about hip-hop it's more about the the rigors of what goes on in these communities in these strife and um you know economically stricken types of uh, places this is what happens so I, you know, I appreciate that a lot of people have been showing some love, including, you know, a couple of friends of mine back here at home in Hartford, where, you know, in a mural of of Nipsey was painted by a couple, you know, friends of mine, Corey Payne and my, my boy Ice, uh, John uh, Massey. You know, they did a really awesome job. You know, this mural went viral all over the Internet. All the major publications were talking about it. Complex Magazine, Baller Alert, Shade Room. I mean, you can go on and on and on. All these. Um, it was just a big viral moment that went all over the Internet. And it's cool because it's cool to see positive things in light of, you know, a negative situation, obviously. But it's cool to see positive things like this become viral. Because for so long, especially on the internet, you know, some certain things that become viral don't deserve to be viral because there really isn't any positivity to it. But in this situation, it wasn't the case. So it was awesome to see, you know, Corey and, you know, get his recognition for the beautiful um, mural that he created in Nipsey's honor downtown Hartford. And um, it was all over the newsrooms. It was in the Hartford Current. I mean, it was it was it was worth it. It was awesome to see that. It's just cool to see that a person like Nipsey can be honored across the country like that. Of course, L.A. over the week started to um, come up with different murals as well, their own murals. So I've been looking at that over the Internet, and that's been awesome as well. So, you know, it's just one big collective of positivity going around the country in honor of Nipsey Hussle. And that's all we can hope for. And um, I guess reports are saying that Nipsey Hussle's um, tribute or memorial they're going to have at the Staples Center in, in L.A., so, you know, home of the Lakers, home of the Clippers, it's only right to um, house an event like that, you know, in the Mecca, you know, far as L.A. is concerned, Staples Center. So it's cool to see that, you know, it's really cool to see that. It had me thinking, I was watching Friday After Next last night, and you know the strip mall that Day Day and Craig's father opened up the barbecue joint at, and the, the same strip mall that they end up doing security work at? 
I believe, if I'm not mistaken, you know, correct me if I'm bugging on this. I think that's the same strip mall that Nipsey bought. Because, you know, in the commercial, when the, the barbecue restaurant, you know, when they, uh, Day Day's father and Craig's father had the commercial, they talk about barbecue so good and make you want to slap your mama. And they gave this address that was on South Crenshaw. I think that's the same strip mall that Nipsey ended up buying. And what's even weirder is the same exact spot where Money Mike's store was, you know, uh, Cat Williams' character, uh, his his shop was called Pimps and Hoes or whatever it was called. That same shop, the location of it, I think that's where Nipsey's clothing store was or ended up being at. So, and, and that same location that around that L, where the L um, comes to that crease mark, is where he ended up being murdered and killed. So, you know, it had me bugging last night. I thought I was like in a twilight zone, but I think... That same strip mall Nipsey Hussle bought. Correct me if I'm wrong. Anybody else out there probably from the L.A. area or whatnot, correct me if I'm wrong. But that would be really crazy if that's the case. Kodak Black got himself into some trouble this week because, of course, he used the Nipsey tragedy to get himself some attention. And the worst part about it is, and it's a lot of times happens with this younger generation. And um, Kodak Black is a part of that young generation where they just tend to not really have that much respect for a lot of people that came before them. They don't have respect for important moments in our culture. They seem to only care about themselves and and when it comes to getting on that clout train and getting more followers, getting more attention. So he said some things that rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. A lot of people that are cool or was cool with Nipsey Hussle. He said something, I don't remember in in the terms of what he said about Nipsey, but it was more geared toward Lauren London, his um, now widowed girlfriend. And he basically indicated like, you know, she's going to be single. She's going to be out in the market and I'm going to be there to kind of console her type of thing. And it's like, dude, you know, read the room. Learn how to read the room. Learn how to say things when you need to say things. That's something you shouldn't have said at all. That's something that you should have kept private. But these young dudes don't seem to understand when it's time to just shut the fuck up. Sometimes it's okay. The best action sometimes is no action at all. Just don't talk. It's like the just hilarious thing. If you felt like you was afraid of some Arab looking guy on an airplane and all this and all that, then don't record it. You don't have to record it and make a spectacle of yourself. Sometimes you just have to shut up and keep things to yourself. But in this situation, in this era of social media, everybody's looking for a moment everybody's clout chasing. It's disgusting and it's gross how people sell themselves out for attention. And in this situation, Kodak Black was selling himself out for attention. To be honest, he's been kind of whoring himself out lately anyway since he's come out of jail this last time. He's been whoring himself, always trying to get attention. He had this situation with sticky fingers on the tour bus, which was weird in itself. You could read that. Uh, He had this other situation with Young M.A. a couple weeks ago talking about, you know, uh, I would do something with her and all that, indicating that he would love to have some type of sexual relationship with her or whatnot. But anybody who follows the business knows that Young M.A. is very, very open about her sexuality. She is strictly women. And he kept being disrespectful, kept saying certain things. And then Young M.A. was like, look, man, 
Look, Duke, <laughs> if you don't shut up, I'm going to have to run up on you. And Young and May, I, I wouldn't put it past her as far as running up on somebody, especially a Kodak Black. He might not want that kind of heat with Young and May. She probably could knock his ass out. But anyway... He had all of these events leading up to the Nipsey event. And he's just been doing some clownish shit for a while now. And that's why he had the games of the world, the TIs of the world. Uh, he even had Lil Wayne come out and say something a little more threatening to him. Like, yo, you need to just fall back. Now, for those of you who don't know, Lauren London also shares a child with Lil Wayne. So, you know, it's, it, it, it struck Lil Wayne a little more personally. And you would understand that, especially if you've had a child with a woman before and some, you know, gremlin looking fuck has some negative things to say or saying some things when he shouldn't be saying things at the wrong time. So in Codex Black's case and in a lot of these cases with these young generation, it's like, yo, we just have to get to the point where, no, we don't need to cancel them, but we just got to kind of tune them out. And I'm at the point where I'm just going to tune out a lot of people if it had if they don't offer anything positive and helping us build as a community or helping humanity or helping just in, empower and uplift people and they just saying troll things just to get ahead and just to get some attention, then I'm just going to tune them out because, you know, that's what we all should be doing. We should all start to put some checks and balances in place for these trolls because right now, whether we like it or not, Trolls kind of run this whole thing right now. They get the most attention. We got the biggest troll in the world as our president right now. So everyone sees that and sees or perceive this is what they need to do to be successful. And we have to put a stop to it right now. On a lighter note, let's talk about this story that came out about Stephen A. Smith. So I, I looked at the New York Post. They was the first ones that I noticed that wrote about it. There were other news publications who picked up the story. But Stephen A. Smith is set to become the richest television personality in the media. So, you know, there are stories saying that he's going to be making between 8 and $10 million a year. ESPN is cutting that check and he is definitely without a doubt this is the antithesis of what getting the bag is all about Stephen A. Smith's journey to where he is now is it's really interesting because I remember when he was with the network at first years and years and years ago and then he left ESPN unceremoniously for you know I believe it was a couple years so it was this in-between process where you know Skip Bayless who was now with Fox Sports needed a co-host so he brought in Stephen A. Smith. He he was instrumental. A lot of people don't know this, but Skip Bayless was somewhat instrumental in getting ESPN to, to bring back um, Stephen A. Smith. So, of course, the rest was history. Stephen A. Smith became the co-host of First Take, where Skip was running the show. He was the main host, obviously, because he helped create the show. Then when Skip left, he took his money over at Fox Sports. Stephen A. Smith became the main guy in charge. He took over first take, and he ended up hiring or ended up bringing in, um, you know, Max Kellerman. So the rest is history. Now first take, you know, it's been pretty much afloat, and it's been doing pretty well. So, you know, a lot of people thought that the uh, the, uh, the ship would sink and with Stephen A. Smith being at the forefront of the show. But to his credit, he's kept it afloat without Skip Bayless. So life after Skip Bayless has been um, a, a seamless transition. So credit to him and credit to the fact that 
I mean, I, obviously he's getting credit by getting the money that he's getting from ESPN as such a big purse, you know, eight to ten million dollars a year. So well, well deserved uh, for Stephen A. Smith. Salute that man for getting the bag. There were some major developments that came about this past week in the Leaving Neverland HBO documentary about Michael Jackson's alleged abuse on two victims, one victim being James Safechuck and the other being Wade Robson. Wade Robson used to be a background dancer, choreographer, and they led some led people to believe there was, uh, especially in Safechuck's situation, he claimed he suffered sexual abuse by Jackson from 1988 until 1992 inside the Neverland station, um, which was odd because Michael Jackson's biographer, Mike Smallcomb, came out debunking the whole accusation. He said, in essence, like, this is not true at all. The abuse couldn't have ended in 92 because the train station, uh, uh, the thing that he had in Neverland, wasn't even constructed or wasn't even passed uh, or given the okay until 1993 in September. So the account is just completely debunked. The, the dates are just a little wonky and they don't really go together. And the the information was so convincing. It was because the, the biographer was given zoning codes. He had the whole thing pictured on Twitter and he really debunked the whole accusation to the point where even one of the directors um dan reed came out and said i quote yeah there seems to be no doubt about the station date the date they have wrong is end of the abuse so even he came out and said yeah i gotta kind of walk this one back so this was my whole issue in, in in general about the whole documentary i still have yet to watch it because I just feel like from the very beginning when I was reading about it and and before I even before they even launched it on HBO, I had my doubts because I just don't feel like the documentary was thorough enough to for HBO to just greenlight it. All the documentary had was the account of two young men or you know older guys now about their alleged uh, abuse by Michael Jackson. I mean that's all they had. There was no former workers coming out. Uh, speaking on their behalf there was no uh, other ki- children uh, speaking on their behalf whereas if you compare the two far as uh leaving neverland compared to uh r kelly's documentary a lifetime they're night and day because that night that lifetime documentary was very thorough you had journalists on there you had former workers on there you had state officials on there you had court documents. You had all of these things that was really damning towards R. Kelly to the point where you you know you couldn't even deny it. Whereas in this Michael Jackson situation, they are not two of the same. They are way different. And this is why I didn't want to watch it because it was just not thorough enough. And I feel like HBO could have did a way better job at being a little more thorough. Because honestly, just releasing it like this by just taking the word of two people... Whether they're right or wrong, it doesn't matter. You have to, it's your job as a major studio, as a major television studio, to be more thorough and handle this with the care that it needs to be handled with. Listen, by all means, I support victims who have been victimized to come out 
and speak about their pain and speak about or recount what could have happened to them or what did happen to them. But make no mistake about it. This has to be handled with white gloves. This has to be handled with the delicacy and the sensitivity that it needs to be handled with. On HBO's part, you can't just release a documentary like this as such an iconic figure without having all your ducks in order. You need to have all your ducks in order because if you don't, then you will be open to these types of things where you have the uh, the biographer saying, um, no, let's pump the brakes here. This guy has his dates wrong. He's alleging that something was happening in a train station that wasn't even, it didn't even come about until a year after he said the um, the abuse ended. So there is a huge discrepancy there. And this just puts a huge hole in the whole accusation itself to the point where, yes, even director, one of the directors had to say, yeah, this seems a little odd. So that's why I didn't want to watch it from the beginning. And that's why I wanted to hold uh, hold my uh, judgment and not just go out and say, okay, these two people said this, so it must be true. So let's just cancel Michael Jackson. No, I look at things with more nuance and I like to let things play out sometimes and let the facts come out. So before I even jump to any type of judgment, we, we've become too reactionary. I do know this. Michael Jackson was investigated by the federal government, the FBI, for a decade. And they found nothing. Absolutely nothing to convict him or in, in the littlest of light. So I'm not saying he's completely innocent. Was he Michael Jackson doing some weird shit back in the days? Yeah, he was a weird dude. So of course he was doing some weird things back in the day. But I, I can't, without any evidence, any concrete evidence, except for just people saying something happened, can um, condemn him or cancel him. I can't. I need more than just two guys saying, oh, he did this to me. And then one of the guy's accusations is completely thrown out because he misrepresented the dates that he gave. Whether he did that intentionally or not, I don't know. I'm not the, I'm not the law. I'm not the judge of that. But there is a huge discrepancy. And this was my worry from the beginning. This is why I haven't watched Leaving Neverland. And this is probably why I will never watch Leaving Neverland. Because it was a shoddy production that could have been a lot better had HBO been more thorough. So the Oprah Winfrey's of the world who jumped to judgment on Michael Jackson. Shame on you. Shame on you. Because you, of all people, who had a show, who understands how to be more thorough, even Gail King, your best friend is a journalist, should know better by jumping to conclusions before you get the full story. The same thing that goes for Wade Robson. And his story was all shaky. And, you know, the biographer doing some better investigative work than even HBO did and the directors of Leaving Neverland. He seemed to just pull, you know, you know, put holes in every one of these guys' account. I'm going to read this here by the Sun Report. So the Sun Report's small comb also pointed out holes, you know, the biographer also pointed out holes in Robson's story concerning a trip to the Grand Canyon. So let me give you a little backstory. Uh, Wade Robson said that he was sexually assaulted by Michael Jackson when his family went out to some trip out in the Grand Canyon between 93 and 94 or whatnot. So let me just read the quote here. Uh, his mother, Joy Robson, testified under oath in a deposition in 1993-94 in relation to the Jordy Chandler case, that was another child, just to give you context, that Wade had actually gone with them on that trip 
to the Grand Canyon before the entire family returned to Neverland for the second time following the weekend. Joy Robson had no reason to lie about this. She openly admitted that Wade stayed with Jackson alone on other occasions. Her words in that deposition were, We went to the ranch for the first weekend, and then we left and went to the Grand Canyon, and we toured. We came back to the ranch for the following weekend. She was asked to elaborate on who had gone to the Grand Canyon, and she she said, my family. There was no mention of Wade staying behind. So this is what the biographer wrote. So in leaving Neverland, they indicated that Wade stayed behind. He didn't go to the Grand Canyon with the family. He stayed behind with Michael Jackson, and that's when he proceeded to sexually assault him. So it's just, it's way off. It's way off. Again, I don't know what's in these these people's hearts. I don't know. Again, I'm not a detective. I'm not here to judge anything. I'm just judging the information that is coming to me as it starts to spill out. And none of this makes any sense. This is why, once again, I have to rail against this HBO special and say that it was a shoddy job. And it looks like it's going to end up being a hatchet job on a dead man that's been dead for at least 10 years now. So HBO, you got to do better. The biographer did better investigative work than you. And we're right back where we started with Michael Jackson. Did he or didn't he? So let's end this on a positive note and talk about the Paul Pierce comment that he had in regards to him being better than Dwayne Wade. Now, I actually, believe it or not, didn't see the clip, but the internet has gone crazy and just thrashed and come after Paul Pierce for those comments. So I've been seeing funny memes all over Twitter and I've been seeing other funny videos and GIFs and whatnot all over Twitter and even some stuff on Instagram clowning Paul Pierce for that comment. I mean, from what I heard from other people is that I guess he was joking when he said that and he made that statement. It was almost a troll. But I do want to take the opportunity to say that Paul Pierce is kind of you know, one of the most underrated players, in my opinion. He had a really good career, not to mention the fact that he dealt with adversity early on in his career where it was almost over for him. I mean, the guy really, really almost lost his life after he got, you know, one fateful night, he was stabbed 11 times in Boston. So to the fact that he overcame that and ended up having himself a Hall of Fame career, you know, he was an NBA champion and he was also a finals MVP. So we can't ignore that. The guy was very successful in at his small forward position. Um, but with all that being said, let's not get this twisted. He is not better than Dwayne Wade. Dwayne Wade is arguably top five greatest shooting guards of all time. And, you know, people will be hard pressed to debate that or go against that statement. Because in his heyday, before his knees started to give away, Dwayne Wade was, like, really unstoppable. I mean, he was so good, Shaq gave him the nickname Flash because he would just go up and down the court in a flash and get to the basket, you know, with the greatest of ease. So Dwayne Wade, you know, was a great player. Um, So was Paul Pierce. So, you know, we can have some fun sometimes, but let's just put things in their proper perspective and just say, just appreciate both guys, you know, so for giving us so many great moments to look back at as uh, NBA fans. Yeah, two of those guys were both great. But, Paul, sorry, dude. You're not better than Dwayne Wade. So that's it. That's all we got left for this episode of the Voice Junkie Podcast. Check us out next time. Also, don't forget 
to support on Anchor. I'm now on Anchor. You can go to the support tab right there at the bottom in the bio and support. You know, give a dollar an episode. That would help out a lot to help build this platform and make it even better. So, yes, uh, support if you can. Other than that, really appreciate you guys taking a listen. Catch you next time. Peace.